Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Coming Together to Improve Outcomes in Resectable Cutaneous Squamous Cell Carcinoma, Multidisciplinary Care Strategies with Neoadjuvant Immunotherapy. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an independent medical education grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, Incorporated. Hello, my name is David Miller. I'm a dermatologist and medical oncologist at Massachusetts General Hospital. It is my great pleasure to be joined by Dr. Kevin Emmerich, a head and neck surgeon at the Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary, where he serves as chief of the Division of Head and Neck Surgical Oncology. Hello, Dr. Emmerich. Hello, Dr. Miller. Looking forward to our conversation today. Now that new adjuvant immunotherapy is a potential option for our patients with resectable squamous cell carcinoma, it is important for us to determine the appropriate patients to consider for this approach. Dr. Emmerich, can you start us off by reviewing the rationale for neoadjuvant immunotherapy and resectable squamous cell carcinoma? So David, common practice for advanced resectable, both locally advanced as well as regionally, squamous cell carcinoma has been surgery, oftentimes followed by radiation therapy. Surgery is a great treatment when the cancer is limited to a specific area, but many patients will still have a recurrence. We also know that both of these treatments have a major impact on patients' quality of life. We've long had a clue that immunotherapy might be a big role player here. Ironically, that intuition comes from our experience taking care of patients who are immunosuppressed, especially our solid organ transplant patients. These patients have a 10 to 250 times risk of getting a skin cancer. This really suggests a key role in the immune system for preventing skin cancers. This difference really becomes amplified when we start looking at survival outcomes, immunosuppressed patients have worse overall as well as disease-specific survival outcomes. All right, David, what is it about the immune system that makes immunotherapy an attractive option here? Great question. From a mechanistic perspective, by administering therapy prior to surgery, there may be an expansion of a more diverse T-cell repertoire as compared to immune checkpoint inhibition in the post-operative setting. So we think there might be an advantage of administering before surgery as opposed to after surgery. There's a real potential here to decrease the extent of surgery. And less surgery leads to less deformity and less loss of function. But it also limits recovery times and hospital stays. So this can have a really big impact. And surgery in this setting also allows us to objectively determine the response to the treatment. So if we look at other cancers, we see that patients, when they're receiving care from an MDT, they have better access to multimodal treatments. Perhaps in the past, when it was just surgery and radiation, it may not have been that critical. However, with numerous treatments, numerous different timing options for how we deliver those treatments, it's starting to look like the complexity and decision-making for resectable advanced cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma is just as great. I think it's easy to extrapolate that these patients will benefit from an MDT. Now let's look at the efficacy data for the available and emerging neoadjuvant immunotherapy options for resectable cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma. Let's talk about the experience so far with neoadjuvant immunotherapy for cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma. We have one immunotherapy that's guideline recommended, and we have a second that is reporting positive data. So David, could you start us off by sharing some of the data from the neoadjuvant simiplumab trial? We have data involving a larger multi-institutional study in which 79 subjects received four doses of preoperative simiplumab. The majority of patients, 65%, had either a complete or major pathological response. 
This was closely mirrored by the impressive radiographic response noted in which 68% of the subjects had a resist criteria objective response. Interestingly, however, there was a discordance in the percentage of patients that had a complete radiographic response, only 6%, versus the 50% that had a pathological response, suggesting that time is indeed required to remove the cellular components of dead tumor. Importantly, recently published follow-up data demonstrates the potential prognostic value of a pathological response. 89% of the subjects remained event-free of one year of follow-up. Notably, zero out of the 40 subjects who had a complete response had a recurrence at the 12-month follow-up period. Following on the heels of that study is the recently presented data from the Matisse trial, a phase two study of preoperative nivolumab with or without ipilimumab in high-risk resectable patients. Again, the majority, 54% in this case, of those treated with anti-PD-1 monotherapy had a major or complete pathological response. 58% of those treated with a combination of anti-PD-1 plus anti-CTLA-4 had a pathological response. It's too early to really generalize whether or not additional immune checkpoint blockade in the neoadjuvant setting provides a clinical benefit. I think where this is going to become even more important is the next data, looking at event-free survival. Kevin? I agree. These are some relatively recent but important data. Can you share with us some of your thoughts about the results we've just covered? So David, these just underscore that these tumors are highly responsive to immune checkpoint inhibitors as we think about these response rates. We see this throughout different neoadjuvant trials. When considering neoadjuvant treatments for a disease that may be curable with surgery alone, I think it's really important that we consider the safety of these treatments. So in the next section, let's explore the side effects and safety of neoadjuvant immune checkpoint inhibitors. So David, we have set the table for how effective immune checkpoint inhibitors can be for cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma, but let's talk about some of the potential serious side effects and immune-related adverse events for these treatments. While single-agent anti-PD-1 therapy is generally well-tolerated by the majority of patients, it is common for patients to experience one or more immune-related adverse events. While any organ in the body can be targeted, the most common organ systems affected by immunotherapy are the skin, the GI tract, liver, lungs, and endocrine system. We have over a decade now of experience with immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy. In the neoadjuvant trial experience, there haven't been any definitive new safety signals. That said, there were four deaths out of 79 in the neoadjuvant semiplumab trial, which is a higher frequency compared with a typical experience. The four fatal adverse events included a fatal exacerbation of congestive heart failure, which was deemed possibly related to treatment by the investigators, and two fatal myocardial infarctions, both deemed unrelated to treatment, as well as one case of COVID-related pneumonia. In all patients experiencing cardiovascular events, pre-existing conditions were present. So it's quite possible this was just a statistical anomaly. In the Matisse trial, grade 3 fart toxicity was observed in only 8% of the patients treated with monotherapy anti-PD-1 and only 4% in the combination group. The Matisse study is a smaller study, but overall, I think the neoadjuvant experience is fairly mirroring what we see more generally. Now, Kevin, one of the concerns of treating patients that have resectable disease with preoperative systemic therapy is that they may experience a side effect that precludes surgery. Can you talk to us about the data around this very important matter? Oncology teams and especially surgeons worry about giving a neoadjuvant treatment 
that's going to prevent somebody from getting surgery or that the disease will progress to the point of not being able to undergo potentially curative surgery, the vast majority of patients are still making it to surgery. Only one patient didn't make it to surgery due to side effects from the treatment. The second concern regarding disease progression did play a part here with a couple patients in each of these studies progressing to the point that surgery was really no longer a viable option. Overall, though, I think most surgeons and oncology teams would say this data is acceptable to, yeah, we should consider this approach. I agree, Kevin. The data is reassuring overall. Now in the next session, let's discuss how we determine which patients with CSCC should be candidates for neoadjuvant treatment. It's important to employ a multidisciplinary team approach when selecting which patients should be considered for neoadjuvant immunotherapy. Let's discuss how we do this in our practices. Recently, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network updated their guidelines for CSCC to include consideration of neoadjuvant semiplumab Kevin, could you comment from a surgeon's perspective on what factors that you weigh when you consider using a neoadjuvant approach for patients with CSCC? So Dave, we start by looking at the published experience from the semiplumab trial, and we can see there are a few reasons why patients are not felt to be good surgical candidates, and most fall into three groups. First group really focuses on the issue of dysfunction, how this might impact on someone's vision someone's ability to use their mouth to eat, drink, and speak, and how this might impact on people's appearance. The second group were not considered surgical candidates because of a tumor that continues to recur in the same area despite having multiple excisions. And the third group is the nature of the invasion makes the team feel like complete resection is unlikely. I think it's worth mentioning here, David, that there's some real subjectivity in each of these categories that underscores the importance of having an experienced multidisciplinary team for these patients. A second way of considering who is or perhaps is not a good candidate for a neoadjuvant approach is looking at the patient's symptoms and how quickly the tumor is evolving. So patients that are treated with semiplumab in this approach have a 6 to 12-week delay in surgery. Those receiving epinevo will have approximately a 4-week delay. So we have to ask, can a patient wait this long? Often we can answer that by assessing the patient's symptoms, especially pain and the burden of wound care. So David, you and I routinely think about who our patients are and what about different patient populations might make them a good or bad candidate for immunotherapy. Can you talk a bit more about that? There are definitely other health parameters, comorbidities that I consider when deciding on implementing preoperative systemic therapy. For example, I would have a very high threshold to incorporate preoperative immunotherapy in solid organ transplant recipients, patients with significant autoimmune conditions, and those that have received allogeneic stem cell transplants out of concern for flaring their underlying condition. In the final session, let's talk about how we work within a multidisciplinary team, including with the patient input, to optimize outcomes using neoadjuvant immunotherapy. Dr. Emmer, can you start by discussing a few concerns that you have regarding the use of neoadjuvant immunotherapy? Absolutely. I think one of the key concerns is the potential to lose control of the disease and no longer be able to provide a surgical cure. Fortunately, I think the data so far shows that this is not a major issue. Very few patients are having disease progression in a meaningful way that ultimately prohibits them having surgery. So what about negative treatment effects on tissues that might make the operation more difficult? As a surgeon that's operated many times after previous radiation treatments, this is a real concern I had as we moved into this type of a neoadjuvant approach. But in my personal experience with surgery, following immune checkpoint inhibitors for cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma, 
carcinoma, but also in melanoma and Merkel cell carcinoma, I have not found any negative tissue effects. And I think to the contrary, given the excellent response rates for most of these tumors, the surgery I feel like has been a lot easier than I would have expected if I would have done it before immune checkpoint inhibitor. I think the oncology community's concerns about adverse events leading to surgical delays has fortunately not borne out in these clinical trials. And I think, David, for you and I in the real world setting, it has also not been a major factor. So as we think about the potential role for a neoadjuvant immune checkpoint inhibitor, we really want to start being able to identify patients that don't need more treatment. We'd like to minimize the overall treatment. That includes doing less surgery. An example of this comes from ASCO this year, where a group in the Netherlands presented some data on serial PET imaging to help identify responders that might allow us to think about who doesn't need surgery and potentially not needing treatment after surgery. There are additional modalities such as granzyme imaging, such as circulating tumor DNA that are being explored as ways that might help us identify patients that we can not do surgery after those first couple doses or not do additional treatment after surgery. Gavin, I really appreciate those points you brought up. In conclusion, neoadjuvant immunotherapy is a very important tool that has the potential to significantly change how we manage patients with not only high-risk cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma, but other skin cancers such as high-risk melanoma, high-risk Merkel cell carcinoma. What is incumbent upon us now is to refine our approach to patient selection so that we can identify those who are most likely to benefit and least likely to suffer harm from this very promising therapeutic strategy. These patients need a multidisciplinary team that really understands this disease as well as these treatment options. These patients really need that type of specialized multidisciplinary team that we have in so many other solid tumor diseases. Couldn't agree more. Well, everyone, we thank you for the care of these very important and complex patients. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.